This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Sometimes you need a radical change. Leverage your past to restart a fulfilling future. Valeria Tellez interviews Michael D. Huggins, the author of Going Ohm, a CEO's self-discovery behind bars. Michael D. Huggins is the founder and board president of the Transformation Yoga Project. After receiving an undergraduate degree from Villanova University and an MBA from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, he worked his way up to being the Chief Operating Officer, President, and Chief Executive Officer of several medical device firms, ultimately managing a $2 billion business. In 2009, Mike pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor as a responsible corporate officer for illegal activity that occurred under his watch, of which he was unaware. He and three other executives were sentenced to prison. The high-profile case drew national media attention, and Mike's world unraveled in the blink of an eye as he was whisked to the Federal Detention Center in Philadelphia. The yoga he had practiced and taught some years before incarceration turned out to be his salvation behind bars. Upon his release, he declined lucrative offers to return to the corporate world and instead founded the nonprofit organization Transformation Yoga Project, which serves people impacted by trauma, substance abuse, and incarceration through trauma sensitive yoga programs. Specially trained in applying yoga practices for substance abuse recovery and trauma-related issues, Mike remains active in teaching yoga in prisons as seen in the Yoga Journal and on CBS, Fox, ABC, and NBC News. He is a frequent speaker on tools for empowerment and the power of yoga as a tool for rediscovering your true self. He is also the co-author of the book, Yoga for Recovery, a practical guide for healing, and a contributor to several books that focus on best practices for teaching trauma-sensitive yoga and mindfulness to underprivileged populations. Meet Michael at mdhuggins.com. Here is the interview with Michael D. Huggins. In your own words, who is Mike Huggins? 
So Mike Huggins um, is a person in transition, uh, constantly uh, learning about life and taking that in and trying to be of service the best he can and giving uh, changing conditions. That's an interesting way of identifying oneself. Transition, being in transition. Do you also mean transformation? Yeah, well, so um, well, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I started a, a nonprofit organization called the Transformation Yoga Project. And the, the word transformation uh, is has meaning to me for sure. I started out years ago on a track to be a business person, and I ended up being successful doing that. But along the way, uh, just didn't resonate with me and felt the need to transform myself into something different. And so that led me down a path of spirituality and yoga and meditation and ultimately into service. So um, the transition and transformation is, um, I think it's it's part of the growing process of, uh, of our humanity, honestly. How do you define spirituality? Well, that's a great question. Um, I define spirituality as returning to your core self, the, the person you were before life got complicated, as the person you were uh, as pure and uh, as you were made to be in the universe before we ended up end up making maybe poor decisions or life circumstances changes things. So I think who we are at our core, um, we're all good. But we're all different. And I think spirituality taps into uh, the essence of who we are. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, in your book, you mentioned the true nature and the true self, which I'll be asking some questions about that later on. My follow-up, warm-up question is about freedom. What is the meaning of freedom to you, Mike? What is to be free? I don't know if I should jump into the backstory because freedom has multiple yeah. levels. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, to that, but uh, to maybe I'll jump into there. So um, for your listeners, so uh, having gone through the corporate world, uh, I ended up uh, having a very senior level position for a very large uh, company, ultimately ended up going to prison for nine months for uh, for something that happened under my watch that I, I didn't even know about. Uh, so so I had firsthand uh, experience of, of physically having freedom take a, taken away from me and uh, had an opportunity to see how people who are, um, what I would say, trapped within the criminal justice system, how can they experience freedom when they don't have the physical freedom? And I was totally surprised, or I, maybe that's not the right word, but impressed by by how these men that I was with became my friends, uh, how they found freedom within, uh, because they don't have freedom on the outside. So that has meant a lot to me. And it, it, we, we started out talking about transition and transformation. For me, that's part of the freedom that we have the freedom to um, change ourselves or to evolve ourselves so that we can continue to know uh, and grow and be of service to, uh, you know, to our community or to humanity for that matter. I love this idea yeah, of um, inner peace and inner freedom and change and constantly being open to change and transformation. And I often wonder why some of us resist so much to change. Do you have some ideas? <laughs> Would that be fear? And fear of what? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think it's fear, but it's also, I think, this idea of certainty. And um, you know, why do we stay into relationships that uh, are not uh, serving us, right? Uh, I'm not talking about necessarily abusive relationships, but maybe relationships that are not as intimate as you would like them to be. Uh, why do we stay in jobs that 
are uh, not fulfilling. Uh, maybe they pay the bills, but they're not getting getting you um, feeling like you're making a contribution. Uh, I think part of that is, is some of that's fear, but I think part of it is the certainty that we we get into these habits and um, to move out of that uh, certainty, uh, it is, there is fear and we have to overcome that, that to understand to stay where we are is actually, uh, to me, is fearsome. To, you know, to be to stay where you are and not to change is like, wow, that's that's something I'm always fearing. To be honest with you, <laughs> is, that is sounds scary. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it sounds scary. Like, wow, because you know, think back <laughs> into your your life or, or anybody who's listening your lives. If you go back a few years ago, I would imagine you might be in the same job or same relationship, but I would imagine there's a lot of things that are quite different in your, uh, in your life. And all those experiences, good, bad, or indifferent, they, they become part of who you are and they become, uh, ultimately those experiences, uh, become, give you some wisdom and make you unique and make you interesting. So I think this idea of, of, of transformation or, or change is, is essential for, for growth. Power and success how do you define these uh, words or ideas these days? Power and success. Gosh, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would say those two were very much linked together. And I and, and, and I say that from a perspective coming from a business pers- point of view when I was managing and, and, and trying to leverage some power to drive profits or to drive, you know, that was defined as successful back then. But I, I think now that I don't necessarily associate the two together. And and power, I guess we can look at it again multiple ways. We could look at, at power from a, a physical point of view that our ability to uh, to affect change, our, our ability to uh, influence uh, those around us. Um, and I think I don't necessarily like the word power. I, I rather, uh, to me, power seems like it's almost like a, a force, right? Um, I, I'm almost, I, I like to be like certainly more collaborative and influential and to affect change that way rather than like this idea of power if you will maybe that's just my interpretation of it but but success success is one where quite honestly i don't really focus on that word at all so i'm kind of a little bit of a loss i I don't view things as as being successful or unsuccessful i view things as as uh, we take an approach to whatever we're doing if it's a job it's a relationship uh if it's uh, service uh, if it's practicing music, whatever you do, um, and we do the best we can, and um, we don't necessarily measure the results of our effort uh, as successful or not. It is what it is, and some and many times success you can't control success. You can only control your effort and your intentions. And so, um, success can happen to people who you could argue. Um, don't deserve it. Maybe that's not the right word, but haven't put the effort in to do that. But yet they've, through happenstance, um, they are, quote, successful. Um, so that's just my perspective of it and maybe a different interpretation from others. And um, my other question is about happiness. What makes you happy? Well, the first thing I would say for happiness is, is uh, happiness is a choice. Mm. Uh, and so for me, uh, happiness is feeling where my actions are congruent with that inner force inside of me, meaning that I'm living authentically, however that is for me, and or, or, or however that is for you or anybody. However, the, to live an authentic life, regardless of how that's the appearance of what that may look like, um, that makes me happy. And 
Um, it's a choice um, to do that. And I would also tell you that I had many years where I didn't have that congruence. And so I had this unease, maybe as, as opposed to unhappiness, but the sense of unease or unfulfillment uh, along the way. Uh, until I finally did the work to kind of bring those in alignment where I could tap back into my, my true nature and um, uh, have my life actions uh, be consistent with that. I love that too, Mike. Yeah, happiness or oh, anything really for that sake, being a choice, uh, seeing that as choices. And, and if I can jump in for, to give you an example. Um, and so I, I mentioned about the, my time period of being incarcerated. And um, so I had a white collar uh, charge, but I, but the prison I was sent to, it was the white collar uh, men there were only about 25% of the population. The, the, the majority of the population were people who had committed maybe drug offenses or other f offenses, perhaps maybe with a gun or something. And they had long prison sentences, maybe 10, 15 years. And now they were, they may have done eight or nine years already of their time. And so they only had maybe four or five years left. And, and um, that's where I, I met them along that way. And I was always amazed or found it interesting that the men who had already done seven, eight, nine years, still had four ahead of them, they were in many cases happier than some of the executives that I was with who only had a three-year sentence, for example. They were, they were depressed, they were broken, if you will. And I always wondered, say, well, if you were to compare the two on paper, you would say the, the guy with four or five years left, who's already done eight or nine years, he should not be happy. But he was happy, he was full of life. He found a way to make the best of that situation and to find meaning in that environment where it's really difficult to find meaning in that, that environment. So I, I always found that curious, and that's why I, I truly believe this happiness is a choice. How do you respond to events that occur to you that maybe are out of your control? What are the most profound lessons that you have learned by being in prison? The first one is is we have a shared humanity, that's for sure. And and there's so many examples I could give you. If if you allow me, maybe I could just touch on a couple. Yeah, and absolutely. It's too much. Please just uh, tell me to stop. But so the, so when I first when I first was sentenced, I was actually taken away at, from the courtroom and put into a holding cell. And it was early in the morning, so I was by myself for a bit. Then over time, men started coming in from other prisons uh, into this holding cell from uh, next door. And they were there for to meet with their lawyers. They might be there to testify in a trial, but they're all dumped in this holding cell. And I was like a deer in headlights. I had never even had a parking ticket. So this was all a new experience for me. But I quickly observed that as these men came in, and they were primarily men of color, which was first the obvious thing about, gosh, how, how can this be? They were having conversations like, hey, Joe, where you been? Oh, I'm up, you know, in the eighth floor. I'm in the, I'm in the mess hall now, or I'm working janitorial because, you know, they're all working jobs. And they were having conversations. It was the same conversation that I would have had if I was at an executive business conference of, hey, you know, Fred, how's your family? How's your new job doing? You know, how you been? Just the same conversation, except that, of course, in this situation, uh, these men were not going home. Uh, in my business world, we were, you know, sort of privileged to go home to our families and fly and all that. But my point of that is that it's the same. It's the, it, it's this commonality that we have, and yet we're thrown into we may have separate backgrounds. And of course, in being incarcerated, you're thrown into a whole another culture here. But that culture has the shared 
I keep saying that this is shared humanity, the, the, the human capacity in all of us. And we all have the same fears. We all have the same uh, worries. Um, and, and how we react to that is maybe different, but it's different because of what the opportunities we may have. And that, that struck me so uh, almost like a two by four. It's like, oh, my gosh, we're all the same. here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How did you discover yoga? Yeah, so I had the, these two uh, unrelated events occur. Uh, back in 2004, I, I ended up having chronic back problems. And I was on my I was on a pathway towards surgery. And I worked for a medical company. Of course, everybody was giving me advice about, you know, which surgeon to see and all that. And uh, so I so and I was also unhappy in my job at that point. I had a really high level job and uh, I sort of uh, was going up the corporate ladder. And I always say the higher I get up the ladder, the less the less happy I was. It was but uh, someone suggested I try yoga as to help with my back. And I was really desperate. So I, I, I would try anything. So I just went to our local gym or that fitness center and I tried yoga. And that first class, it just something in that class resonated with me. Of course, physically, I felt a positive thing out of that. Um, but it was something deeper than that, something more emotional. And, and it ultimately became a spiritual thing for me that gave me some clarity. And of course, ultimately, my back problems went away. I now realize in hindsight that that was all stress related, not physically related. I never had surgery and my back is great. But the yoga, uh, it, it just tapped into me. And so it gave me the uh, courage, if you will, to quit the corporate world. And then I quit. Uh, I was actually the CEO of a pretty large company. And I decided I'm going to become a yogi. And I took a few years to go study uh, yoga deeply. I went to actually I went to a Buddhist monastery for a bit up in uh, Woodstock, New York, uh, studied meditation, uh, became a certified yoga instructor, and then really started to focus myself because I at that time, I'm about 50 years old. So I you know, I was a little bit old to, to jump into this, but I really didn't want to teach like uh, studio yoga, if you will, although I have nothing against studio yoga and I practice studio yoga, but I wanted to do something different. So I started some outreach programs uh, with the Police Athletic League to focus uh, trauma, to, to focus, to bring the tools of yoga to people dealing with trauma. And so I had pretty good success doing that. Of course, in the middle of all that, I ended up, my legal problems arose and, and that's why I ended up going to prison and was very, very fortunate to have this uh, strong yoga practice to carry me through, um, through that whole process. And um, talk to me for a moment about the philosophy of yoga and this idea of bringing the mind and the body and the spirit together and being able to see everything as one, the connectivity of it all. Yes. So I think... We can all appreciate this this idea of mind-body connection, and I think that's well understood. In fact, it's it's not even it's it's gone well beyond any kind of uh, new age philosophy, if you will. There's books written about it, and I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with Dr. Besser Vanderkolk. He wrote a great book. It's called "The Body Keeps the Score," mm, yeah, knowing that yeah, yeah. these activities they, they 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 go they go into our body and they they get into our psyche. The approach that I took, certainly, and, and many of the people that I work with, but that's not the only approach, was we started with a physical practice. And that's just like I went to try to deal with my back. The the entree was the physical piece. Um, but then that was sort of, to me, became the gateway to the real power of the yoga practice. And that is that mind-body connection where uh, you could start to tap into your uh, inner self, mainly through the breathing practices and uh, then 
going into that situation, finding yourself in these, un, I quote, unquote, uncomfortable situations and these uncomfortable poses, and, and then making a decision about whether that pose is serving you or, or, or whether it's just a discomfort um, and you can breathe right through that discomfort or whether it's something that's causing pain and you need to change that. That whole practice of, of sitting with that feeling uh, ultimately translate beyond the physical piece. It can, ha- it can translate to when you're in stressful situations in life, can you stay with that? Can you breathe through it? Um, and can you manage your nervous system uh, so that you can you know, deal with the fight or flight or your, uh, I don't know if we want to get into this parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, but you have the ability to, to manage your nervous system and how to manage stress. So that, to me, started with a physical practice. And because I do a lot of work in prisons, we, we generally lead with a physical practice, but very quickly it moves into uh, a, a mind-body connection and ultimately to a very deep spiritual uh, practice. You mentioned um, just a few minutes ago, old, being old for something. What is old to you? How do you define age? That's a great question because I, I probably misspoke because I, I, I guess when I said old, it's old of how other people would view me. And yeah, this is, this right. is a, actually, I'm glad you brought that up yeah. because it's a great point. Um, that is actually one of my, um, been one of my uh, challenges over the years is, uh, look, I'm a, I'm a middle child. I'm a classic pleaser. And so I do things, I always say, I do things to please everybody but myself and very conscious of these kinds of things. And so when I decided to go through yoga, I panicked because it's like, well, what are people going to say? He's too old to do yoga. Or he's, he's, And I had people come to me. They thought I was having a nervous breakdown, quite honestly. It's like, Mike, look, you probably need to get some help because you should be staying and you're doing a great job in this, this job here in the business world. Why would you want to do this? And so from that perspective, I was viewing what other people might think of me or, or or say about me. But honestly, I haven't been happier. I This is the happiest I've ever been <laughs> is following is yeah. following that. And look, I just turned 63 <laughs> not, not long ago. And I don't even know what age means anymore because I feel great. Physically, I feel great. Uh, but mentally and spiritually, I feel stronger than I have ever. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it's more of a it's more of how people look at me or us as people, um, and we and we we tend to take that in and react to it. And and I'm uh, guilty as anybody as as reacting to people's expectations of like what what it is you're doing. Chapter four, you say, I don't judge others because we judge others in the same way that we judge ourselves. So in a way, we are judging ourselves when we judge others, or well, we have been doing that. We have the habit. So now we're just passing that on. Um, yeah, and, and what I would say, what I would say that I'm glad you get another great point. I'm glad you brought up because through through my experience, having gone through this criminal justice system and having been in front of a judge, <laughs> what I would say is he he judged me, right? But that's his job, right? That's his that's his job. And honestly, I totally disagree with what he how he judged me. What he he didn't have the facts right, but that doesn't matter because that was his job. His job is to is to take the facts in front of him, assess what he believed really happened and make a decision. So I respect the fact that that is his job. I also respect that he might've made a mistake, but that's that's long gone, right? The, my point of all that is that we're all in the same situation. We are judging everybody all the time and we think we have the facts. Yeah, right, um, but we right. don't have all. We're never going to have all the facts because we don't know what's going on within the person we're judging. And, and and as you as you rightfully said, 
how we judge others uh, is how we judge ourselves, And we're generally very hard on judging ourselves, and that spills out in how we view others, particularly others that are doing things that uh, are outside our comfort zone. And that's where we find, you mentioned fear, that's where the fear comes in, and then judgment comes in right behind that. We usually judge the different, too, which is so interesting to me because when I look at nature, everything's so different, but it's so imperfect and so perfect at the same time. So I think I think what happens, though, is that this idea when we have this here, here's an analogy I use that when we talk about like things like uh, gravity, we understand that okay, it's up and down. Uh, I get my I understand that. So th- that makes sense to me. So we have a judgment about what gravity yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. But then if we if we say, well, wait a second, what about outside of Earth, outside in space? There is no gravity. And so this idea of the definitions of up and down and gravity don't they don't apply. And so now there's uncertainty. But what is it then? It's it's it doesn't make it, I can't define it properly. And so when there's when something is is not understandable, then we have it we have a, a tendency to uh, try to define it. And then once we try to define something, then it's easy for us to. Uh, judge. And I use the example of people coming out of the prison system that are, um, they may be looking great, they're doing, they've done all the work, and we have a hard time understanding that, but saying, but wait a second, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a hesitation about what their actions are versus how you perceive them to be. And, and so we don't quite get our hands around that. So we say, well, though, he's, a, he's an ex-con or, you know, he's an ex-felon. And then once we make that this determination, it's really easy to judge him. So, well, then he, he, there's something not right with him, right? We, it's very, it's a, it's very uh, straightforward how that pathway goes to that decision making. And that's why we have to be careful about the, about judgment because it, it takes us down a slippery slope. And, and particularly when we don't have the facts, and, and never have all the facts for, as far as individuals are concerned. What is your best advice for becoming more aware of these um, inaccurate judgments, negative and harmful? For me, the first thing is to go back. I, I mentioned earlier about our, our shared humanity. I think at the end of the day, we're all humans and we all have, I don't want to say strength and weaknesses, but we all have our, our personalities or the um, uh, events in life, whether they've been decisions or things that happen to us that affect affect us. And so I think if we can sit with that for a bit, and that's why uh, obviously I love yoga and meditation because it provides that uh, that silence where us to take it all in and, and not be so quick to react to things to say, okay, what's really happening here? Um, and it's really easy to do that now, particularly uh, what's going on in the country about everybody's at each other's throats. There's, it's so easy to to judge, to make that. We have to be able to, as a, as a society, we have to be able to take some time to sit with that and to understand that, you know, there's fears on other people that's making them make decisions that may not seem rational or, or make any sense. I love that. Um, this idea of coming from this place of, Self-compassion and then compassion, because we can't really give what we don't have. So the practice of self-compassion is really important. Yes, uh, yeah, exactly. And I think that's part of, I think that's, honestly, that's why I'm much so much focused on yoga, because I think the, the, the life lessons of yoga, particularly for people who are dealing with trauma, it can provide that pause between uh, stimulus and reaction and 
we can practice on our mats about getting into a difficult pose or, or a challenging or uncomfortable pose. We can stay with that a bit. We can, you can, you know, see how that feels. We can deal with it. And then we keep practice and practice and practice. And eventually that finds itself off the mat. And as we can then take that pause between stimulation and reaction. So we can be a little more empathetic. Uh, and again, go back to that, uh, the, your parasympathetic nervous system where we can be empathetic um, and, and, and take it all in and, be, and, 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 uh, and share a commonality, if you will. Yoga and meditation, they are connected, right, Mike? Yeah. So, so when I, yeah, so this is a, it's an interesting question because when I say yoga, it, it has to have a meditation. There, to me, a yoga practice isn't yoga without meditation. So you can meditate without yoga, in my opinion, uh, but you can't do yoga without meditation. I mean, to me, it's, you have breathing work, you have perhaps some physical movement, and you have to have meditation at the end because that's the best part of it. And the, the philosophy of yoga is why would you even do these poses anyway, right? What's the benefit of doing these poses other than maybe getting you focused? Well, the benefit, at least there's a one theory, the benefit of these poses is that it prepares the body for meditation. So if you can tire your body out a little bit or stretch it out a little bit, and then you can sit or lay on your mat um, you can then go deeper on your meditation without having to necessarily worry about uh, scratching your leg or uh, something else. Your body is is going into a state of recovery uh, and allows your it allows, actually allows your mind to rest while the body recovers. So, so there is a benefit uh, to that. But if you don't do the meditation, you've lost the benefit of all that. Maybe you can get a you know, physical exercise, which is okay, but you're losing the real spiritual benefit of a practice. You've been in that situation with a judge that made the decision according to the facts that he had and they were not accurate. So talk to me for a moment about forgiveness. Well, forgiveness to me, it's, it's essential for us as a society. If we don't forgive, we've got, we're never going to move forward. And it really starts with ourselves. And um, I, I, I'll go back to my my time of being incarcerated. We had done these yoga programs, which they uh, evolved into deeper meditation, and, and eventually they um, they morphed into these men's discussion groups. And this idea of forgiveness came up time and time again. And I and I think about the the layers of that when these men were sharing their stories, and the, sh the stories would be. Maybe they did something violent, you know, there's these at the top layer. And if you start peeling that away, you find there's, you know, there's violence, perhaps um, there's uh, anger. You strip away anger, there's frustration. You st strip away frustration. And particularly with men, um, there's a lot of shame of what they've done to their families or their loved ones or their kids. Um, and you strip away shame. You get to the point where you're not, there's a feeling you're not good enough. So we got to get to those layers of strip it all the way down to the, get to the point where you, there's a feeling you're not good enough. And then we got to forgive because you are good enough. Mm -hmm. You can't keep beating yourself down. You got to take all those experiences that you've had and not beat yourself up with it and, and turn it and say, this, this is part of this. This is, becomes wisdom. So now I understand things differently. And in my own experience, I can see things differently because of my experiences. If I didn't have that experience going through that process, I might have different opinions on things. So rather than not forgiving yourself 
um, take all that in and then use all your experiences to make you unique. And then you can then be able to serve others. And once you can forgive yourself, it's, it's not a big leap of faith to start forgiving others. What do you love most about being a man? That's a great question. Um, gosh, well, I've only been a man. So uh, <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> what I would tell you is that uh, I enjoy, honestly, the physical part of it. I, I enjoy um, just feeling like a bit of strength in how I approach things. I think generally men um, might have some uh, focus on, on how they approach things. Uh, I do enjoy that aspect of it. I think that, um, again, if we're going to generalize, you know, uh, men are, are pretty pretty quick to jump into things. Uh, maybe they don't think it through all the way, but we at least are, 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 are sort of quick to action. And I, I think over time, what is, I've, I've gotten to a place where I enjoy being a man, a man to a point where we can, we're getting to a point as, as a group where we can start to share our inner uh, demons, if you will, you know, our shadow work. And that's, relatively recently, but I, I have to say being a man to now have the ability to talk with other men about our fears, our fallacies, I actually quite enjoy that. My other question about that is the challenges. What is the most challenging aspect about being a man? Well, I saw it uh, firsthand, you know, everything's extreme in, in, within the prison system. But I would say, so firsthand, I, I saw it there firsthand, but then it, it's clearly all over the place. And this is the idea of male toxicity. And um, gosh, a few years ago, I didn't even know what that word meant, but now everybody's talking about it. But the idea of male toxicity is real. And um, of course, we see it, you know, I saw it in during my, my, my incarceration of of people feeling like they have to be this bravado or uh, almost feel like they have to be violent uh, to be a man. And um, uh, it's actually kind of a way of survival in that situation. But but uh, I also saw so many, so many people move beyond that and to do this inner work where they've become vulnerable. And for men to become vulnerable is a huge, a, a huge evolution. And um, so for me, that is the biggest piece. That's the challenges of, of, transitioning from that and whether we're talking about yoga or meditation it's just being open to to doing this kind of work where hey there's another way here um and to be a man and to be vulnerable and to be open and to be uh understanding our fallacies and to to be part of the solution to some of the things that are going on here uh rather than just uh kind of blacking it out um so that that's the challenge there um we're seeing it more uh so now i think some of the things that are happening, you know, in our in our society now. I think the Me Too movement was a a great place to start. Uh, I think there needs to be a lot more there so that that we can be educated and uh, and do the inner work. You know, I'm, I'm not talking about the obvious stuff. I mean, we, it's obvious that you know about about how women how we treat and and talk. But I mean, I'm talking about the more subtle kinds of things. I have a few more questions for you. Those are the ending questions. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? I would. Well, here's the thing. Um, maybe not necessarily a passage from the book, but I wanted to share you a letter because you, you've been asking or maybe curious about yoga, uh, getting back into it. And I wanted to to maybe share with your listeners um, a, a note I got from one of our students. So we didn't get into this, but we, we go into the prisons and we teach a certification program. So we teach men to become yoga teachers, 200 hours, yoga alliance, certif certified instructors. With the idea that, that that they go deeper into the prison beyond well we, where we could ever go, 
So with that backdrop, I received we received this letter from one of our students. So if I read it, it's only two paragraphs. Okay. So it says, uh, this is from, I won't mention his name, but he's one of our, our students who's, who's been in prison for a long, long time. Uh, he's a, he has, and has a life sentence. So he writes, I always figured yoga was for women and small, skinny, shirtless men from India. I was wrong. I took one yoga class 30 days ago with the intention of getting a good stretch and giving it a shot before I went back to my closed mind and opinion of it. And what I received was far greater than my expectations. I felt peace. I felt connection and I felt purpose. It was as if all the false identities I've built over the course of a lifetime were peeling away layer by layer. But most importantly, I've seen a crack in those walls I built so long ago and a glimmer, a shadow of light was glowing around the surface of that wall. For someone who has lived in darkness for so long, sometimes you just want some light. Now, I'm not going to sit here and get all super spiritual with you as I don't know anything beyond what I feel. I'm not a monk or a Buddha. I'm just an average guy in the worst pain of my life. I've only known mistake after mistake. But having been doing this yoga for the past 30 days, I come to realize that I'm not the only one who's had to build up walls during my life. And while those walls may have kept others from hurting me, they also kept others from seeing the good in me. The good I know is somewhere within me. Whatever is happening within me, I don't want it to stop. So, so there's more, but you get the sense. And, and that is the true power, I think, of this practice uh, beyond the physical piece. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. It, this is only 30 days. Oh, wow. I, there's more. If I got 60, 90 days, but yeah, he's, <laughs> uh, but you get the idea. Yeah. Yes. So that's, that's why, that's what drives me. That's what I write about in the book. Um, and that's what continues, continues um, to, um, to move me forward because that's, that's why I think this is where I need to be taking the experience I had from the business world to build an organization that can put these programs in place. But the bottom line is to be able to do these kind of programs that are conserve these men and women so that they can be uh, productive no matter where they are. How beautiful, Mike. Yeah, thank you so thank much you. for your purpose, your beautiful work and purpose, because that is uh, that's what we need more in this reality. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience? The purpose of the human experience, I guess I, I go back to my kind of opening thought process of this of this transformation of um, the human experience. While while we think we all have different experiences and at a certain level, we all have different experiences uh, as far as where we live geographically, what our uh, religious beliefs may be. But at a certain level, we all have the same human experience. Um, and I think that's the, the challenge for us is to scrape away all those differences. And there's a lot, obviously, of course, now with, with um, financial difficulties people are having, there's all kinds of religious stuff, political stuff. So I think if we, we have to find a way to, to scrape all that stuff aside and get to the core of our, of our individual spirituality, because there is that common bond here. And, and I truly believe there's a way for us to, to connect with each other that way. And two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? The only thing I would say to that is, in hindsight, having having the wisdom, you know, of uh, what's really important in life would probably would have been useful. If I had, uh, you know, written a letter to my younger self uh, now and knowing that the importance of, of what, what you just mentioned, you know, unconditional love, rather than um, 
crawling my way up a corporate ladder, uh, which served me well. You know, I'm not saying it didn't serve me well, but knowing what's really important, I would say that's probably the only thing. I don't really have any regrets. I don't look backwards. I'm not one to do that. But I do think that this idea that uh, we can make a change and, and, and we can do something for the greater good can get lost because of um, the minutia we live in in day-to-day life just to survive. So my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Um, life is a blessing that, and life is not to be taken for granted and um, life is to be shared. Thank you so much again, Mike, for your beautiful presence, your wisdom, your purpose. I love your purpose and your work. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So there's two ways to to reach out. Uh, If you want to know more about the nonprofit that I I had mentioned, it's called the Transformation Yoga Project. We have a a website. It's transformationyogaproject.org. And if you want to know about my work, my particular story, the best way to reach me is uh, mdhuggins.com. It's mdhuggins.com. There, there you can see uh, my books. I, so I've written several books, uh, but the latest one is called Going Ohm, a CEO self-discovery behind bar. So, um, and I'm very accessible. So I'm happy to, to talk or reach out to anybody. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Valera. Bye for now, Mike. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Michael D. Huggins and his work, please visit mdhuggins.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.